Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is Minjay Orms, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at direct-to-consumer telco carrier Visible. Minjay joined Visible as the brand's first CMO when it launched in 2018 under parent company Verizon. Pulling from her nearly seven years at YouTube, Orms is leaning into community building and social media to build affinity and drive business for the telco brand. Orms, a Campaign US CMO 50 honoree, joins Campaign Chemistry to chat about Visible, the role of the modern marketer, and why the industry needs to tackle inclusion before diversity. Hi, Minjay. How are you? Hi, Allison. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. And congrats on your inclusion in our CMO 50 list. Very oh, well deserved. Thank you so much. I'm really honored. And congratulations to you and your team for the inaugural list. Yes. Thank you. It was a, it was a big, pro- a big project for us. So we're very yeah. happy to have it out there and be it. Uh, I think it's been pretty well received. So, um, yeah, definitely want to talk. We're having you on this week to talk about, you know, the CMO role and mm-hmm. uh, all the challenges and excitement that goes into that, yes. um, <laughs> which there are many. Yes. But first, first, maybe give us a little bit of an overview on Visible and what you guys are trying to do in, in the telco market. Yeah, absolutely. So Visible is now a three-year-old company. Uh, we're not a baby anymore. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're, yeah, exactly. We're, we're toddler. Um, and what we're trying to do is essentially something that fuels your day every single day, which is your phone service in your pocket. I'm sure you have at least one, if not two or three. And trying to create a new business model to serve you best, which is to say leveraging what Verizon does best, is, which is its network and the telecommunications um, infrastructure and the knowledge, but marrying with an e-commerce business model and a direct-to-consumer brand so that how you ultimately interact with us and how you do business with us is following, frankly, a lot of the models that the rest of the industry and the products have gone in terms of how consumers are more and more buying and interacting with things um, online. So because of that business model, we are also able to offer a bit more simplified and streamlined version of the choices that you have as a consumer. So we have a single line plan and the price point is $40 and it includes all of the taxes and fees included so that you're not the one who is having to do the math to figure out what am I paying for every single month. Sounds like a really good, uh, handy thing to have. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, we'll talk about what, what e-commerce and D2C means in a telco context. Mm, yes, good question. So um, obviously that context also has changed a little bit with the pandemic for the past 12 to 18 months. Um, but simply that means for Visible is that we do not have physical stores and your interaction with us as a business is direct. So everything that you're going to buy from us from our service and the phones that come with or you bring with is going to happen on visible.com or 
our app. So on the one hand, that is a tremendous advantage in the fact that how, you know, people are used to kind of doing that right in every other aspect of their lives um, and for us to be able to leverage that. But on the other hand, in the telecommunications industry, especially in the United States, we ourselves as an industry have trained you for the past two decades to follow a very specific um, pattern to be able to go into stores and to interact with folks and to buy phones or accessories or um, different types of plans that you can get, which is, you know, still preference for um, some of the consumers out there. But we're also finding that there's a pocket of consumers who prefer to kind of do everything they're you know, own, uh, like self-serving um, in terms of the buying to the managing of their account and everything. So that's really the difference when it comes to that e-commerce um, retail model. When it comes to the direct-to-consumer brand disposition, I would say what that does is really fuel and enable the behaviors that therefore we as a business, um, you know, has out there, but also what we're trying to create with our consumers in the telecommunications context, meaning, how we think about our buy flow to how we have created a customer care in social and um, chat environments and really enabling kind of it's not just about one specific channel, but how do we, because we're a digital business, show up in ways that we can support you from beginning to end in ways that are both proactive, but also reactive um, when when you need us. Um, so that brand value, I would say, is something that is important in how we create the culture of our company to be able to make decisions and how we ultimately build what we create on our website, as well as the messaging, as well as how we um, work with our care agents to show up in ways that make sense and connect all of these channels together, even though you may not be seeing us physically out there in a store setting or in physical interactions with people. Got it. Really interesting. So talk about talk about the the company culture. I know you guys are yeah. well not a startup anymore, but you were a startup yeah. <laughs> incubated within Verizon. Yes. Um, how much interaction do you have with the Verizon teams or are you pretty autonomous? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of best of both worlds. Um, and we have to make it that way for us to actually grow at the speed that we are as a business, which is to say we are able to leverage again what Verizon has cracked a nut around and the strength of the, the network with now 4G and 5G, which visible in and of itself, we're not building that network, but we are working with Verizon's teams to make sure that that strength and quality is available to our customers. So that's a one very specific example of how we work with um, our parent company or, or um, mothership. <laughs> and um, there are also other pockets of the business that we um, often interact with ultimately to be able to, again, leverage the scale of the big business. But then what that allows us to do within the walls of visible, so to speak, is for us to focus on the kinds of things that would be unique to our business model and that would be unique to our team culture. So uh, an example of that from a marketing standpoint is um, social and community play a huge role in how we've been growing this brand and how we have been cultivating our relationship with our members. And so that is a very unique channel, although, you know, these days every business has some version of social 
social um, in in their mix. But for us, it's it plays a bigger role every single day in in how we have conversations, how we interact between brand and care teams, and also how we think about some of the more spiky moments, quote quote unquote, to create momentum around new news, whether that is coming from our business or our partners, um, specifically on the device side. So that's kind of how I think about where are the areas that we can really tap into the expertise and scale of our parent company and be able to, again, provide that as a benefit for our members. And at the same time, what are some things that we would do differently and build different muscles around as a business with Invisible to be able to ultimately deliver that promise of the e-commerce plus direct-to-consumer that we talked about a little bit earlier? Mm. So you talk about community and social. I know you obviously uh, spent quite a while at YouTube building mm-hmm. out a lot of their uh, creator and, mm-hmm. and community campaigns. Talk about you know what you learned from that job and that business that you're bringing to this new role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are a couple of things. In the early days of Visible, um, community was especially important because we were an unknown brand and we were the last entrant into a very crowded and competitive category. And so one of the differentiators that we wanted to think about and start owning, even in the smaller stages of our scale as a business, was to figure out how are we going to bring our members with us on this journey. And that is to say, you know, typically consumers' um, relationship with, with their utility services like a cell phone service is pretty transactional, right? Because you think about it at the beginning of your journey when you're switching and what are the price points and what do I get for what I'm paying for? And unless there are specific promos and sort of the incentives that are in front of you, if it works well, you actually forget about it. And if it's broken, that's the moment when you start to talk about it. And so what we as a team really wanted to figure out was could we potentially earn a place in a consumer's mind to be able to play in a space that's less transactional, but also more emotional. Mm. And so the way in which that came into our brand values, um, as well as our marketing strategy and a business strategy and a product strategy of community was to get feedback constantly from our members. So that translated to kind of the first sets of what we heard from people out there as to, yes, you started with a very straightforward, simple one single plan, but what else would you like to see if we were to consider adding new features or different things? And that still helps inform some of the roadmap that we have ahead of us and what we had launched and some of the biggest successes of our businesses because it was based on that direct insight from our members and prospects. Um, And the other thing is from the product standpoint, um, we actually built communities into our, our value proposition in itself. So when we started to think about, okay, single plan is really simple for everybody to think about and everybody gets the same, you know, exact same thing. But when we started to talk to people, they were really interested in still saving additional dollars. And that typically in the telecommunication business is through family plans. And when we then started to talk to people who are on family plans, a lot of them were not families. <laughs> they were people who, you know, used to date each other or people who like own every 
you know, kinds of like big purchase items you can imagine, including houses and dogs, but they're still on each other's parents' family plan. And so what became really clear, especially more of the younger generations in terms of the audience set, was they were using family plans to save money. And, and like, who could blame them for that, right? It's, it's smart consumers being savvy to figure out how they were going to save um, additional dollars. So when we put all of those insights together, we realized that maybe what we needed to do wasn't just to bring over the same thing that everybody else has or everyone is used to using, but what is it that we can learn about the behaviors that you know, for example, before the pandemic, we used to get into cars with other people in the shared ride to to save money. Mm-hmm. So our version of that group plan to ultimately provide additional savings to consumers, but in a way that reflects this new kind of way of, of living became party pay. So party pay is really simple. Like if Allison and Minjay had single plans, we just join our plans, but we do not share our private data. We do not share our unlimited data. And it just becomes a way for us to bring our bill down by $5. And if you bring another person in another $5 and so forth, all the way down to $25 per person. And and so that became a huge driver for people who were already visible members recommending other people to our service. And then recently, earlier this year, we further kind of expanded on that premise of the parties and introduced two additional things. One is we lifted the size of the parties. So right now we have parties of like thousands of people. Wow. <laughs> yes, who came from Reddit and different affinity groups and like naming their own parties and joining just for the sake of being in this community because you don't actually get any more savings beyond the $25 as the bottom. Mm-hmm. But people just kind of really love being in these parties and being able to interact with each other and there's a lot more to come on that. And then the other thing is we started to um, offer referral benefits. So every time you bring someone in, your bill actually goes all the way down to $5 for your next month for every person that you bring in. So these are all kind of different ways to offer ultimately the savings that people are looking for. But we wanted to hear from consumers how they actually think about community in their lives and how much more willing they were to the aspect of community being more than just their family mm-hmm. and and reflecting that into our product features and the value propositions so that it became as a three-year-old business automatically not only the acquisition driver but also a retention driver because those who start to come into parties and stay there are more likely to stay with us than not mm-hmm. so it, these are some of the insights um, back to your question about kind of the community that really translated not only to the business strategy the marketing strategy but importantly, the product strategy to ensure that we're building this equity with our members into what we're growing here. That's awesome. I mean, you don't normally think about, you know, such passionate digital communities forming around their, their tell service. (laughs) (laughs) That's really, that's really special that you've been able to build that. Um, You've also kind of visible has a really fun, like, uh, humorous brand too. Mm. Like I, I still, I still love the commercial you did with Dan Levy zooming yes. in on his eyebrows, <laughs> kind of quirky, silly. Um, talk about, you know, how you think about creative and, and the brand and the brand voice that you guys are trying to build as visible. Yeah. Um, the, 
the humanity and the personality behind the brand is something that um, the team spend a ton of time on thinking through because, you know, at the end of the day, we all know as marketers and consumers, like brands are pretending to be a person <laughs> or a personality. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's something of an affect or uh, a, a chosen personality that you're trying to communicate on a consistent basis. So, so as to give people a sense of like, what are your values? Do you actually fit with kind of like who I, I who or like businesses I would identify with giving some additional elements to, and dimensions to how people think about businesses. Um, and so we wanted to be real about that. The fact that, yeah, like we are a team of people who are behind this business this trying to cultivate a personality and bring this to you. And at the same time, we wanted to try out a bunch of things. And so we generally stayed, um, I would say, in terms of the territorial personalities and the positive aspect of it, because we wanted to stand out in ways that were both feel good, but aspirationally feel good. Meaning, if we're trying to be a utility service that... Um, appeals to you in ways that are more than just the price points that we put in front of you, although that we realize is an important part of your decision-making process. We wanted to make sure that there's more to how we as a business operate internally, which is essentially our company culture, shows up in ways that we interact with you out there as a consumer or our members um, that shows up externally as the brand voice and the values. So a lot of the types of campaigns and the creative ideas and sort of the aesthetics that you see are a combination of first really wanting to make sure that it back to the kind of comment about being in a really competitive industry. Um, we need to make sure that every single place that we stand out, we can make it count twice, three times as much in impact. And the other piece of that is because we don't necessarily physically exist in your world, we wanted to make sure that there is still humanity behind how we show up in your feed or, you know, wherever it is that you see us largely in digital places to be able to um, draw you in a little bit with, with something a little bit more than, again, just the price competition that we typically um, are facing in this industry. Mm, totally. Um, so talk about your team. How do you guys organize? Yeah. Um, so first of all, Visible as a team, shortly after the pandemic started, we actually proactively decided to be an all remote company. Oh. Um, so yeah, so we, we um, operationally, this was a little bit easier for us to do because again, we're largely, you know, digital company consumer facing. So we were able to figure out quickly internal facing how we're going to make that happen. Um, and so it's, you know, down to kind of even the smallest details around how would we divert some of the resources we have as a company to better support someone's work area at home? Um, how do we think about supporting our employees and their mental health um, while we're going through this period together? And then now that we're starting to emerge from that, you know, slowly but surely in terms of getting vaccinated and the potential of getting together, we're trying to think about what makes sense for us to do when it comes to actually seeing 
seeing each other face to face versus still allowing people the flexibility of being able to work from home. So that that's kind of been the fundamental biggest change um, as a business. I would say, you know, it, it was it was definitely different and funky at first, but um, I think we've kind of really come to appreciate again the the option to have proximity as well as availability, but at the same time, give people the flexibility to be able to manage their lives in ways that make sense, especially during the pandemic period. Um, and then when you look at kind of the marketing team in particular, um, we're largely organizing in kind of not, not um, different from a lot of the marketing organizations. We have teams that look after generating interest and demand for our new product and business and brand. Um, so they tend to be kind of the channel owners and specific to kind of the comment around social channels and things like that, that are really unique and special for us in terms of the impact and, and the share of voice. And then there's a team that looks after then what happens once you deliver those folks to our storefront, which is visible.com and really thinking about the e-commerce tools and the growth marketing aspect and the merchandising pieces. Um, and partnering with another part of my team that is sort of unique to this business, which is the device team. So they really think about how do we partner with um, partners like Apple and Samsung's of the world and thinking about supporting their products, but also using that as an opportunity to draw in more people to our business. So um, for me personally, that's been a huge learning area just in terms of, you know, not only thinking about the devices in the way that, that are deeper in in how that unlocks new distribution channels for us, but also, you know, the logistics and like operations behind selling phones <laughs> and right. learning a ton about that. Um, and, and so it's, it's been a really interesting journey in the last three years to then build a team from a largely brand and creative skill sets to then thinking about the insights, product marketing, social and, you know, device logistics and inventory management and, and thinking about how we marry all all of those pieces together inside so that from the outside, it doesn't, you know, feel at all um, like that there is like different team managing it behind the scenes. Mm, interesting. And yeah, you do cover all, like you span all of those different areas and mm -hmm. there's so many channels to keep up with today as a marketer, <laughs> yes. which I'm sure you know. How, yes. do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, so the channel expertise, I would say I've, I've hired in and my, you know, my team leads and I keep a close eye on just people who already bring some of those expertise from the jobs they had previously or the experiences they had previously. But I, I would say once, once we have that, those skill sets and some of the anchors, we're pretty open about then like what what is your job going to be actually here at visible so even in the interview process i would say i'm i'm pretty like upfront about look like we as a business are changing pretty fast and we are trying to evolve and learn from what we're doing here today that by the time if you get this job and accept it and you come in here three months from now there may be some new things that we will have learned mm -hmm. so like 75 to 80 percent of the job description and the conversation we're having here which are the core needs of the business right now but the other 25 20 percent assume those are things that you're going to come in and help us figure out whether it is like, you know, let's say within the social strategy, 
are we are we going to play in all of them like are we going to do youtube and tiktok and you know instagram and all of the above or do we even you know become more um specialized in certain channels versus others are more listening and trying to figure out like what's right for our business with a pretty small team um but that means you know leaving the the aperture of kind of everybody's um appetite and interests around other adjacent channels or emerging channels pretty open so that we can all first of all as a team and a business learn from the new things that are coming down the pike but at the same time we are able to then grow people and move them to kind of different scopes as the business continues to evolve so that we're we're not necessarily like held to very specific like set of criteria that that may be actually like not as relevant anymore six months down the road. Right. I mean, in marketing, everything changes so quickly. Part of the job is just learning how to be fluid yeah. and being able to pick things up as they come. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you create a culture that sort of encourages that? I mean, it sounds like you're upfront in the interview process about it. Mm. Um, what other ways? Yeah. Um, you know, I think if we kind of even pull up one layer from the specific marketing and business challenges in the channels, I would say the biggest thing that I feel like I've been holding hands around with with the leaders on my team have been change management. Um, Change management from the aspect of, you know, the macro changes of like what happened last year and then how do we think about our business in the changing context of the consumers and how they think about their economic situation to something like what we are selling. Um, how do we think about the assumptions around their, therefore, mentality and behavior from the consumer perspective and be able to really stay ahead of that or at least like be responding real time around that? Um, but at the same time, internally, too, because a lot, I would say our team in the past three years, we have reorged in a major way at least three to four times. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's both in the like scope, but organization, like people and all of the above. And every single time, you know, as much as possible, I try to bring that change together with my team just in terms of what the why behind the what, like the context, right, of the business as well as the macro conditions and what are we anticipating potentially and therefore what are the kinds of changes that are that we need to make right now to be ready in the next 6, 12, and 18 months. Um, and, and being as much as possible like empathetic and human but also clear about those changes um, I, I feel like just speaking from, you know, my perspective, it, it takes, um, you know, I think building that trust up front and building that trust every single day takes some of the emotional distress out of it. I mean, there isn't necessarily like, you know, obviously we're human beings and so change is going to feel different and that's going to come up in a lot of different ways for all of us. Um, so I'm not saying that emotion equals bad. Actually, I do think that emotion upfront consistently is very healthy. And so in some ways, like addressing it that way, meaning like everyday level. And then when there are specific inflection points or changes being really upfront about the context and the why, um, and as much as possible, bringing them along to give me input about like, 
how we should think about those scope changes and such has um, made the transition, I would say, faster um, and and less less like, you know, distraction in terms mm-hmm. of like the potential things that that could take your attention away from the structural things, the operational things. Yeah, but it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. And and where do you rely on partners like agencies, consultants? Mm. How does that fit in? Yeah. Um, so I think you know, one of the biggest gifts I feel like I have in my career that looking back now, I would advise a lot of, you know, folks who are starting out in marketing to do is starting out on the agency side. Um, And what that taught me, and therefore how we work with our agencies now is to make sure that we, again, same as the rest of my team internally, as much as possible, bring the agency partners into the context of our business early, often, and consistently. Um, because the more that we can bring those partners into the challenges and opportunities of our business and be real with them about it, the more people, the smart people that I have as the extension of my team to be able to help us think about proactively, how should we therefore utilize specific the strategy of media or um, as the media landscape changes, like how does that change our media mix or the creative agency side in terms of like, how do we think about more of our everyday marketing versus some of the um, need to create moments that are bigger than the everyday moment. So the context giving, I would say, um, is the most important thing that I would say in, in early on in my career, like, learn from the best of my clients and there are other times also you learn from right some of the the not great experiences mm-hmm. um and reflecting on that and how how would you do things differently so um i i feel really fortunate that throughout my career and to this day really a lot of my kind of like closest friends and trusted partners are folks that i used to partner with on the agency side and so trying to create that relationship and trust between our team and the agencies here as well so that yes like we are bringing these teams together for the different expertise and resources um and at the end of the day, we're all trying to solve for the same business challenges and consumer opportunities. So how can we open up those conversations in such a way that everyone feels like they have some sense of ownership and accountability in what we do here together? Mm, Yeah. And do you find that um, agencies like, are they an integral part of all of your strategies from creative to media or do you do anything in-house as well? Yeah, that model has flexed, you know, um, as we grew up in the past three years. So, um, you know, our creative agency, Madwell, and our media agency um, within Publicist Group, they are very integral part of our planning, execution, um, strategy process, partnering with my team internally. Um, And in more recent months, we have also carved out sort of specific strengths area. So um, under my team, there is a creative agency in-house that takes 
care of some of the um, creative strategy and the actual deliverables that are closest to the e-commerce part of our business, as well as some of the own channel strategy, um, like some of our social channels, um, as well as the the um, executive communication and website and some of the things that we own internally as a holistic content strategy. Whereas we may leverage, let's say, you know, some of the kinds of executions that we did last year um, at Red Rocks as a virtual experiential activity. Um, for those types of scale building things, we do still partner with our agencies to ultimately bring their resources and expertise and their partners into the process so that we can think about, you know, again, at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing and grow this business. So what are the different ways that we're going to do that every day at the, and then the campaign level? And what makes sense for us to tap into in terms of our expertise and resources um, depending on our team's um, bandwidth and resource versus our agency's bandwidth and resource. Mm, yeah, so very collaborative. Yes. Um, and then um, I want to I want to shift gears a little and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, which yeah. has been, you know, the biggest topic in our industry for the past year. Yes. Um, how does visible approach approach the issue both internally and in your marketing uh, campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so recently I was listening to a um, Harvard business school podcast. I'm a business book junkie, Allison. So um, bear with me. <laughs> um, I do not have an MBA, but I am working on my MBA, basically reading all the business books. Um, <laughs> you might as well have one. Yes. Yes. So there, there was a recent episode um, with three of the Harvard business school professors kind of talking about this topic. And one in particular professor, um, Francis Fry talks about how, how inclusion needs to be there before we as businesses and organizations really put our efforts down in diversity and representation. Mm -hmm. And it's such a simple concept and one that totally makes sense, but we don't often talk about it that way. And what she meant by it was inclusivity is how you create culture and an environment at the organizational level. And therefore leaders need to own this and, and have a big part in how you do that to support no matter who you are as a person and individuals and teams come into that context of that organization and the environment, by the time you get there, you have a shot and choice of bringing your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. Because if you put people just based on diversity metrics into an environment that is not ready for them, that isn't already making an effort to be supportive and inclusive, then you're never going to get this right. So I've been thinking about that a ton and that, you know, I think we may not all have experienced or thought about it that way, but I'm sure we've all had experiences in our past where, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm the first woman to be like hired into this role or this team or whatever the version of, right. Like mm -hmm. your, your identity is, but you went into a place and then you realized that, Ooh, they're not ready for me here, <laughs> mm -hmm. but that's not how that was made to feel. So what I think about a lot and what we try to practice here at Visible a ton is that inclusivity piece first and foremost in, in the culture that we practice, which is to say to me, myself as a leader, 
owning up to moments where I make mistakes or have accountability and things and like take a deliberate moment to talk about that. Like, what did I not get wrong? And here's how, and here's what I learned from it or moments in which, um, I'm like totally stressed out about, you know, real life things. And, and maybe that's impacting how I show up at work and either taking a moment to say, I got to take today off or, um, here's what I'm dealing with today. And here's why I'm showing up the way I am. And, really setting kind of the baseline for the team in how I show up or how our leaders show up um, around our organization to um, give, it's like, not that anybody needs permission, but like implicit permission around the organization to bring yourself, like whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you're either struggling, celebrating around. Um, and, And therefore, as part of that, we have also been there for making efforts around the hiring, the mentoring and talent development. We also participate as part of being Verizon, the at fellows program, which now is an industry wide program to really cultivate um, talent in marketing and advertising industries who are from traditionally underrepresented communities in, in this industry. Um, so there, there, it, it has to be a pipeline effort, right? It's like back to the comment about the culture has to be inclusive And then you also think about bringing more people who think differently because of the context and experience that are different and how they were brought up into this world. And then I think the rest of it, frankly, is a bit of a question mark, but in in a hopeful way, because I don't think we have even started to scratch the surface of how we can imagine to run businesses differently or how we could make decisions differently, how we could come up with new ideas differently with those many different voices and perspectives reflective and especially seats of decision-making because we we're not there yet. Um, mm-hmm. We're not there yet as visible. We're not there yet as, as business world. We're not there yet as a marketing world, but I hope that, you know, this this opportunity and a lot of the elevated conversations and focus around this topic doesn't just dissipate, but it is a moment for us to dig deeper into what is perhaps uncomfortable and things that we may not have directly confronted within ourselves as to why things have been the way it is and what must change for us to see the change that we want to see. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about us, you know, the industry not even really like scratching the surface of thinking about how we can reframe the way we do things. I think there's a lot of just like entrenched legacy ways of working and thinking Mm. that shows up a lot in the agency world. Um, What advice do you have for your agency partners having worked at agencies in the past um, on this topic? Because I I do think that they, they struggle to get the inclusion piece right. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, <laughs> this is, this is, this topic is like, we need like a summit. Um, and, and then some, um, gosh, I, I think, you know how, like when we talk about creative strategies or marketing strategies and we, um, often gravitate towards or seek agency partners to come to the table with provocative ideas. You know, Mm -hmm. we we talk about that often. And a lot of the times there are therefore kind of like types, typecasted personalities attached to who has the right to bring provocative ideas. Mm -hmm. 
I, I wonder if that's one of the places that we can also start to open up the aperture of this a little bit more, meaning like if that's what you're always looking for, then you're probably only going to hear from very specific types of people. And mm-hmm. and whose definition is it even to say this is provocative and creative, but that's not. Mm-hmm. And how many ideas are getting lost because we're using kind of that broad perception definition of what really represents creative excellence. And I'm talking right now very specifically about creative um, agencies. Yeah. And, and so uh, therefore how agencies have in the past kind of been incentivized to hire, cultivate, celebrate, you know, the kinds of talent within and outside versus how much more there is to be hired um, and cultivated and celebrated in, in the different types of people. I mean, I think that's kind of what I mean is like, I can't even begin to imagine like how amazing that can be because I know enough individuals who seek to play that role or fight to play that role in their world, whether they're on the agency or brand side, but really where that rubber is going to meet the road is if the leadership, again, both on agency and brand side, look for and proactively cultivate, celebrate the different types of talent to put in front of clients, their stakeholders, and make that the, you know, part of the conversation. That's what I would like to see more of. I mean, we all have a part in this, obviously, but more than ever, the leaders, people who are making decisions about the company culture, structure, talent, it's on you to think about how you're going to do more around these things while you're on in those seats of decision making. Mm. I think that's a really strong, powerful message to end on. Thank you so much, Minjay, for being here. I know you're a very busy CMO, so I appreciate the time. And um, again, congrats on uh, the CMO list. Thank you so much, Allison. It's an honor. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time. 